On today's episode, we're going to share with you some of the most powerful information for creating change on an unconscious level. Robert gets very vulnerable and is going to share how utilizing this information completely changed his perspective on our marriage and how this change in perspective changes everything. Did you know the average couple waits six years to get help in their marriage? Yeah, that's six years of pain, hurt, and frustration. Hi there, I'm Charlotte Snow. And I'm Robert Snow. And welcome to Master Your Marriage. Where we believe that having an amazing marriage should never feel like hard work and shouldn't be a guessing game. This is the show for married couples who want to discover a scientifically proven approach to building a masterful marriage and have fun while doing it. So if that's you, you're in the right place. Let's dive in. Now, you've probably heard that you have an unconscious mind. Have you not? I have. It's also sometimes called the pre-conscious, and it's frequently referred to as the subconscious mind. You may not be too certain what role the unconscious mind plays in your daily life. Some might argue that the unconscious mind is, well, unimportant, or that it doesn't significantly impact our behavior. They believe their conscious mind is the thing that drives everything through logic and reasoning. However, if this were the case, advertisers wouldn't spend billions of dollars marketing to our unconscious mind. The reality is the unconscious mind is a powerful force in our lives. Mm -hmm. So let me share with you a quick but really compelling story about the power of the unconscious mind. Mm, I like this story. So Edward Bernays was the founder of this concept called engineering consent. He was the nephew of Sigmund Freud and one of the first individuals to theorize that people could be made, made, Mm. to want things they didn't need by appealing to their unconscious desires. Okay. So Bernays believed that not only could people, people be made to want certain things, but it was actually better or even necessary for the functioning of society in order to to actually do so. So the American tobacco company hired Bernays after World War I to convince women to start smoking cigarettes. And at that time, smoking was considered acceptable only for men. Um, It was very taboo for women to smoke. But the tobacco companies realized, you know what, if we could change this public opinion we could, we were, we'd be poised to double our our revenues. Twice as many customers. Twice as many customers. And so Bernays accepted the assignment and he got to work figuring out what is it that women genuinely want on an unconscious level? What do they want? Because that's the angle he was going to come from in figuring out how to go about this. And then he came up with a concept and he planned a and staged this dramatic public display during the Easter Day Parade in New York City. So what he did is he contacted all of the press and he told the press to be ready and waiting in this certain place for these beautiful women who were going to be lighting up, quote, torches of freedom. Oh, my goodness. During the parade in order to show that they were equal to men. And with the press perfectly positioned to capture this planned performance, the photographs just started rolling in. Photographs of smoking women soon filled front page newspapers all across the nation. And then right after that, this was followed by an ad campaign of women 
beautiful women with bright red lipstick, smoking cigarettes with slogans like, you've come a long way, baby, or believe in yourself. So by linking cigarettes to the unconscious desire for freedom and rebellion, rebellion, Bernays was able to change the cultural landscape of women and smoking. Yeah, and it was so fast. Like he literally changed this entire taboo like almost overnight. That sounds so sketchy. Well, perhaps until now you haven't fully comprehended the power of your unconscious mind, but it's possible that you're beginning to wonder what it is capable of achieving. If the unconscious mind were so inconsequential, why would it then have the ability to recognize subliminal messages that are, well, everywhere, mm -hmm. that the conscious mind is not even aware of and may not even be able to see? Exactly. So think of it this way. Think of it. When, while driving a vehicle, who is truly in charge of commanding each foot, signaling, altering the radio, examining the billboards, chatting on the phone, and doing all of these things simultaneously? When was the last time, because I know you've had this as a pretty universal experience, when was the last time you were driving somewhere, perhaps to a friend's house, when you were lost in thought and then suddenly realized, how did I, how did I get here? I don't even remember how I drove home tonight. <laughs> Who was steering the car since undeniably it wasn't your conscious mind? Yeah, sort of an autopilot. 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 Hmm. Well, most people agree that we've only scratched the surface when it comes to understanding the vast and intricate functions of our unconscious mind. That's right. And yet... We do know that it is responsible for a range of really important roles. It, for example, it stores all of our memories, even things that we've forgotten consciously. It houses all of our emotions. It oversees the, the functioning of the body and keeps and preserves the body and keeps it safe. But the key responsibility, one of the things we want to talk about in this episode, one of the key responsibilities is this drive to seek out more. So the unconscious mind is conditioned to continually want and desire and seek out more. And this can be a good thing, can be beneficial. It can also be detrimental. On Depends on more of what, more right? More of what, okay. exactly. So on one hand, this impulse will motivate us to attain greater things, to expand our knowledge, to improve ourselves. For example, it might be what's driving you right now as you listen to this podcast to enrich and to, to enrich your relationship, to seek a more fulfilling marriage. Those, but on the other hand, on the other hand, the unconscious mind works within certain parameters. The parameters we establish for it, which those things are based on our beliefs. So this means if we provide the unconscious mind with negative or unresourceful beliefs, then our unconscious mind will go out and seek out experiences that confirm those beliefs. Like you just said, more of what? Hmm. And the interesting okay. thing is these beliefs are usually formed between the ages of zero and eight years old. So really early in life. For instance, and we're going to talk about this today with Robert when he's going to get vulnerable here in a minute. Yep. I'm um, just waiting. <laughs> nervously. A little bit, yeah. So, for instance, the abandonment wound occurs in children, and it's usually when they are experiencing a profound loss or rejection, usually during early childhood, and that leads to emotional pain and, and insecurity. 
And it usually leaves the child growing up with this sense, maybe not a clear belief, but a sense that, you know what, people always leave eventually. I'm always alone. And unfortunately, because the unconscious mind takes everything seriously, this becomes literal instructions for the unconscious mind to follow. It's what tells the unconscious mind to go out and seek more. So as we said earlier, we're hardwired to go out and seek out these experiences, more experiences, more confirmation of these instructions that we've given it. So this can cause us to end up with results that we don't really desire. It can cause out cause us to go out and seek out relationships that will more likely end in abandonment or seek out unhappy relationships and stay in those relationships even though we're unhappy. It might cause us to seek out partners who need fixing because we feel insecure. Does that make sense? Yeah. So in order, so I guess what you're saying is our unconscious mind seeks more good or bad, but the question is more of what? And then that's right. Like that's the million dollar question. What's in there that it's seeking more of? And you have a really powerful story that beautifully illustrates this concept. Well, I mean, it's it's perfect for this concept. It is. And seeking either more or, or less, I guess. And you have a situation that, with the way you grew up, that kind of caused an abandonment wound. Yeah, you know, I mean, and it's we've talked about this before. It's just always fun whenever I have to talk about it again. Maybe fun is not the right word, but I mean, you know, my mom was married four times and Two of those times were in the zero to eight range, maybe even the third. I'm not. I'm not certain. But so she was already divorced twice by the time you were. Yeah. Here. So my my biological dad, my mom was divorced from when I was four, almost five. Mm-hmm. Um, not a lot of contact there. Um, he didn't pay child support, so she didn't let us see him. And as a result, like maybe one weekend or a long weekend a summer, a year, a year, yeah, per year, and that was about it. That's really all we got to see. And so. You know, it's tough on a kid. Like I was looking for a father figure. And then of course, next go around, she marries another guy. And I'm, you know, sort of attaching myself as we go fishing and things and thinking this is my new, Mm. you know, sort of male role model. And then he's off and gone as well Mm. with a lot of fighting and screaming and all that. And so I don't know that I consciously made a decision about, you know, that everybody was going to leave me, but I certainly, it was, it's certainly there, like everybody did. So it wasn't too hard to kind of come to that conclusion. Right. And I think in a, in a seven-year-old mind, in a child's mind, you weren't, I mean, even as an adult, we don't sit there consciously going, oh, I have an abandonment wound. Right. But there was probably some thoughts and I'm sure consciously you don't necessarily remember all of those thoughts now, but I'm sure a child would have had certain thoughts about that. Like, you know, why does everybody keep leaving? Or yeah, well, I think so. You know why? Why is this? Or is this new person coming in my life going to be somebody safe? Or are they just going to leave too? You know, I remember. I remember each of those sort of episodes where. Certainly, I remember the third one. I remember when my parents got divorced. I remember having problems in school. Like I was acting out. Yeah. In school, I had you know some issues there, and probably I think I remember acting out in kindergarten. I think it might have been this not kindergarten, but somewhere in grade school. So I think probably each of those were weighing on me. At least at least my personality or my psychology was was sort of pushing back because I was frustrated and didn't understand. And so and sort of that spills over into everything. So somewhere in that early childhood, a decision 
obviously you didn't re- recognize it at the time, but some decision was made that people leave. Yeah, absolutely. So then life becomes a confirmation of this bias. And so I'm assuming that as you started to grow up, that certain things started to confirm, oh, there's another one. Oh, there's another one. Yeah. I mean, I think that as we've, you know, if we've talked about this before, it's as, as I look back, it's only through maybe a retrospective analysis that you can see these patterns that have fully developed and brought you to where you are. But I look back and, you know, when girlfriends would leave and we would break up, I'm like, oh, and there goes another one. And, mm-hmm. you know, and probably more serious once I had left the house. And prior to Charlotte, I remember being engaged and she, you know, she left and she left. I don't know. She, the answer is, is she, you know, she left for somebody else. And so my question is, now, as I look back, like, did I, did my behavior towards her and that relationship, did that, did that create, you know, did I create that somehow through my behaviors? Like drive her away? Yeah. Did I like sort of drive her away or make her just question like all these types of things? So if you were to know, what do you think? Do you think you did? I don't know. You know, it's, it's easy when, you know, it's easy to just lay the blame at her feet and say, well, she left me for somebody else. Well, in what way might you have driven her away? What types of behaviors would have driven her away? Probably the same set of behaviors that I demonstrated early on in our relationship. Maybe I was too needy or too, too clingy or too concerned that she was going to leave me. And so maybe that just came off as not enough confidence or not enough respect for me. I don't know. And maybe paired with like not fully opening up because that would probably drive her away. Yeah. I mean, that was something that happened early on in our relationship. You know, I was always concerned that I was going to do something to cause you to leave me. And so I tried to do nothing that would ever cause you to leave me. Like, you know, just really just be the best husband, be the most romantic person, you know, do things for you. Always just always needing, always making sure that you told me you loved me. So I was like checking in that you were there and, and it even had a lot to do with how we disagreed. Like I wouldn't, I wouldn't leave an argument because I thought that if I left an argument, that meant that I was giving up. Yeah. And so that became a problem as well about how we disagreed, which is why I like to say how you disagree is how your marriage goes. Yeah. And, and it's interesting because as we look back, we were fierce. Like we would stay in the fight and not take a break, which is not a good idea. No, not a break, not a good idea at all. But now as we, you know, look back and reflect on this and do this analysis, it's easy to see how. Like, gosh, if we were to break away from that fight, that would equal or that would mean we were abandoning the relationship. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's other things that, you know, there's other things that happened early in the marriage. I had, I had a series of jokes that I used to tell. And one of them was, you know, people say, like, so how are you guys doing? And I'd be like, hey, dude, every day I come home and my stuff's not on the front porch is a good day. And that's, you know, once again, my unconscious mind really trying to get the goal, right? So this is the co- the conscious mind is the goal setter. Un- unconscious mind is the goal getter, gets more of whatever it is you want, right? And so if you give your unconscious mind those instructions, i.e. everyone leaves me, then my unconscious mind is going to drive me towards that goal by telling stupid jokes without any reason for her to want to do that. And so, you know, pair that with all of those experiences, I was slowly trying to kill my marriage by 10,000 cuts. Mm. And again, like you said, this is retrospective analysis. Yes. Even at that point, did you even consciously realize this was going on? Oh, no, not at all. I just, I had, I couldn't figure out where the jealousy was coming from on my side. I couldn't for, figure out where the insecurity was coming from on my side. I just had dreams about, you know, just that you would leave and that, 
you know, that I'd be alone and like all these things. I never really knew what it was because it's sort of always been there. I never to, really knew where it was. I used to have issues with my hands swelling and my my wedding ring not fitting. Yeah. And yeah, that, that and sometimes me. I couldn't wear it and you'd be really bothered by that. Yeah, it would bother me. We, we would go out and be like, I'm wearing my ring, you know. Where's yours? Yeah, and, and I finally, I sort of, she just, you know, I think you and I had had this conversation. You're like, you just got to deal with it because I'm not, like I can't wear a ring. It doesn't mean that I don't love you. And so that was just like one more little thing. My unconscious mind's like, oh, she's not wearing a ring. This means she's on her way out. Right. Right. So I, yeah, I would, it, it's all about negative and positive perspective, which we've, what we've talked about, but you know, the, the negative perspective is always looking for a reason for her to want to leave me and trying to shore those up. And that was just based on a set of experiences that continue to happen. First dad, second dad, third dad, right? Girlfriend, 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 girlfriend. She's not wearing a wedding relationship and, and all those types of things, even though there was no logical reason behind it, I already given my unconscious mind those instructions. Perfect. So you're now, we're married. So this is now you're 30 maybe or something like that yeah, when, probably at this, at this yeah. particular point. And still at this point, you have no conscious awareness of this. This nope. is still retrospective analysis at this point. Yep. But when did you finally recognize it? Um, I think we started working was when we were getting trained in NLP. Mm-hmm. And I was sort of just kind of going through the motions doing it. I didn't really understand the why behind it and, the, and how powerful it could be. And so one of the things we do in, in, in NLP training is we'll do a thing called timeline therapy where we just kind of release unnecessary, unwanted emotions that are sort of coloring your unconscious mind. So we release fear, anger, sadness. What was the other one? Hurt, anger, sad, anger, sadness, fear, hurt, guilt. But then guilt, even yeah. after we did like those major five, yeah, you were still pretty... Yeah, there was something. I was still unsettled. Unsettled. I was unsettled. And so we dug in, dug in just a little bit more. And uh, and we sort of just, I sort of put my finger on it. I'm like, I just sort of feel abandonment, right? And, and I don't know if that came to the forefront because we had released everything else. And I was feeling like those things were gone too. And I was like, well, I feel like I've lost my rudder. And I really did. I felt sort of rudderless. And, and, and so we went through and just released abandonment issues and, and just sort of cleared that filter and, and learned the truth about what really is, not about what my experiences had colored to what I thought it was about my relationship with Charlotte, about my relationship with other people. And you had a, a really fast change. Like I, I remember immediately seeing a change in you. What did you notice about how what was different with you after you let that go well i mean i think the difference was like i immediately just felt confident in my abilities as your partner and as a husband and as a father i no longer had this fear of abandonment as a matter of fact it was it was quite the opposite i was like well if you leave that's worst decision you'll ever make yeah yeah. (laughs) i'm a pretty amazing dad i'm still here and i'm present and i work hard and i love you to death and so if you want to leave that then that's your a bonehead. Loss. That's a that's your loss. That's a bonehead move. Yeah, and I remember being a little shocked by that, but it was really cool to see because all of a sudden, he was able to stand on his own two feet without needing oh, affirmation from me that he was enough. Like you yeah. were able to be there and be who you were, and you became so much more vulnerable and open and willing to share your full fullest self with me 
at that point. Up until that point, I still think there was reservation in being completely open with me. Well, how could I be completely open with you if I shared my vulnerabilities, you'd leave me. Right. Right. And so that's that's this whole thing. And I think sometimes this lack of this lack of being able to be vulnerable has a lot to do with some abandonment issues where we're afraid that somebody is going to leave us or not love us because they see our true self. Absolutely. How do we become intimate there? And so that allowed me to just create a deeper level and a deeper connection with you because I could be vulnerable. I could tell you the not really darkest secrets, but I could tell you those things about me and my fears. I could share those fears with you without worrying about being less than. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It was really cool. And that's, and that's one of those pieces of baggage in relationships. This was my big piece of baggage. And as they say, like, if you don't unpack your bags, you're just going to trip over your entire relationship. Exactly. So, okay, what do you believe about relationships now as opposed to them? You know, unconsciously you had this belief before that, you know, people will eventually leave. What do you think about our relationship now? Maybe what are one or two of your resourceful beliefs you have about marriage and now? I mean, marriage is an amazing union. There's no reason for either one of us to leave as long as we're trying and, and working on it. Yeah. And that's very different from what you would have oh, said absolutely. 10 years yeah. ago. Yeah. So how is this new belief, these new instructions that you're now feeding to your unconscious mind, which is then going out to seek more, how is this new set of instructions changing your experience with me? Well, I mean, <laughs> it was, it was pretty, it was, that. <laughs> it was pretty fun, but, but what did, what did you think? I think is the better question. As soon as we'd done this work, what did you think about me? Well, just kind of what I, partly what I just said, just having all of you, all of you instead of a part of you was completely different. I felt like we were really, really a team. Yeah. And, and just, you had just so much more confidence. And you, what do you, what do you think now about how our experience together is different? I mean, I I think that I think that I can probably accept more from you because as I withhold in a relationship or did not willing to give my full self, you would at times reciprocate. Mm-hmm. And this, and this crosses every boundary, not boundaries, but it crosses every domain is probably a better word for it. Right. Where if I can be more vulnerable with you about my emotions, you can then be more more vulnerable with your emotions because I'm not withholding. Yeah. If I can be more vulnerable in intimate settings. Right. You can be more vulnerable in intimate settings. Mm-hmm. And this vulnerability can lead to more trust. More connection. And more connection. Deeper yeah. intimacy. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's a whole other podcast probably on that. All right. So great example of what we're talking about, about how the unconscious mind goes out and seeks more. And obviously there's thousands of other examples, other ways that we give these instructions to our unconscious mind, go out and seek more, but again, more of what? So if you're there thinking, gosh, if my thought in my head is, gee, why are relationships, why am I so bad at relationships? Well, guess what you're going to find more of, seek more of. If you believe in some way that marriage is hard, Marriage is so hard. Well, if you believe that, what evidence is your unconscious mind going to go out and seek more of? It'll go find it. It'll go find it. And we could go on and on like that with examples. But the truth is this. The instructions that we provide our unconscious mind have far-reaching effects. The unconscious mind will continue to seek out more, more experiences, more stories, more evidence that aligns with these instructions. So the answer really is... 
whatever you believe about your marriage is your marriage. I've always loved that phrase. I mean, think about that. So whatever you believe about your marriage is your marriage, good or bad. Yeah. And I mean, it's even if those beliefs that you have are not conscious, even if those beliefs are out of your awareness, hiding in the darkness and the shadows of your unconscious mind, they're still shaping your reality. So here's the million dollar question. What do you really believe about your relationship? And it's good to know. And it's good to wonder about. And if you're not liking the answer to that, maybe consider how trying on a few different beliefs might feel. Try on some of these, for example. What if you believe that relationship success was 100% achievable for you? What if you believe that friendship and sex only get better every year? That's true. Yes. What if you believe that through conflict, your love can actually grow deeper? What if you believe that we can both express our full selves and still be safe? What if you believe that life just gets more rich Mm. when it's shared with the person you love? Can you imagine what your relationship could do with a positive belief system in place? What will your unconscious mind go out and find to support that? In all areas of our lives, it's crucial to impart healthy and positive beliefs because then our unconscious mind will seek out more of those things. Until next time. Thank you for listening to Master Your Marriage. If you have a topic you'd like us to cover, then we want to hear from you. Just go to MasterYourMarriagePodcast.com and send us your question. Oh, and while you're there, you can also check out our retreats and events and even apply for coaching. And make sure to subscribe to the podcast so you get advanced notice of when the next episode drops, plus show notes and many extras. Thanks again for tuning in.